0: But I have some good news for you this morning. It's time. And what I mean is for the last few weeks, Daniel and I have both been teasing a couple of announcements uh, that we said were going to be big announcements for some stuff coming up. And now I am excited to share with you that we have a couple of announcements this morning, one being this awesome shirt that I'm wearing. Now for five and a half years, which is how long I've worked here, I have constantly had people asking me about church shirts. Hey, when are we going to have new church shirts? And I, I get it. I, and I love it. I love it because people are wanting to represent Green Nazarene out in the community. Our shirts usually look pretty cool. And so I, I, I totally get that. And so we have found an answer. Usually we'll do a batch order and we'll, we'll do sign-ups and we'll, we'll pass them out one Sunday morning. But now if you go to our website, greenbarnazarene.org, we have a way that you can order shirts and it's shipped directly to your home. And we have shirts, we have jackets, we have sweatshirts, we have stickers, we have all kinds of stuff. And you don't want to miss out on that. You want to go out and check that out. In fact, if you wanted to order some stuff this morning, just really quick before we get into the message, I totally would understand and that would be okay. Um, But some more good news, uh, for every item that you buy in that shop, uh, there is a $3 markup that goes directly to us that we are using um, for our youth ministries. So they have events all throughout the year. NYC is coming up up in a couple years. They have a ski trip coming up that's going to be really exciting Um, in the spring. They have church camps and retreats. And so $3 of every item that you buy in that church shop is going to Sponsored Kids Um, in those youth ministry events. So we're excited about that. So not only are you getting some cool stuff, but you're, you're sponsoring and you're helping support our teens and our youth ministry, and that's exciting. So we're excited to announce that, and the second is an event that's coming up that we do every single year that we're taking a little bit different of approach to this year. It's at the end of October, around Halloween, we have an event at the church where we, allow the, we want the community to come in. We want our church family to come together and have a good time together as the church. And usually we do that at night, and we'll make hot dogs and things like that. But this year, we're wanting to do that directly after service on October the 31st, and we're going to have lunch together. And it's called Eat and Treat. Emily's got it up there for us on the screen. It's October 31st at 12 p.m. immediately after service. And we're going to have a couple food trucks from here in town that are going to be parked here in the parking lot um, so we can enjoy lunch together as a church. And then we're also going to be having our usual games and jump houses and things like that. So this is an awesome event. And, but, but here's the thing is that, as always, we need your help. And so if you would like to help, you can text volunteer. You can do it right now if you want to. Like I said, I'm not blaming you if you want to have your phone out right now. When we get in the sermon, you better put it up, though. You can text volunteer to 501-830-4065 if you'd like to help. We're also, as always, needing candy. So if you'd like to bring candy, uh, you can bring that starting next week. We're going to have a bucket set up in the foyer. We're going to need lots and lots of candy because we're hoping that we have lots and lots of kids and lots and lots of people here on that Sunday morning as we just have a, a, a nice time together, having lunch and just having a, a time of community together. So there it is, the cat's finally out of the bag. We've been leading you on for like three or four weeks about that. Um, and I hope that it excites you as much as it excites our staff and as much as it excites me. But let's jump into the meat of what we're talking about this morning, because we're going to be finishing up this, the three-part series that we started several weeks ago titled Renewed. Now, if you remember, if you were here for the first week of this series, you remember that we were going into this three-week sermon series with a purpose, right? Pastor Steve has been on sabbatical. He's going on, on to, in, into his fifth week of sabbatical uh, today. And while he's been gone, our goal as a church, we talked about if you were here, if you'll remember, hasn't been just to get by during these six weeks that he's been gone. It hasn't been just to, to get through to make it, but instead remember. We said that we wanted to be seeking the same kind of renewal, the same kind of rest and restoration that Pastor Steve has been seeking while he's been on sabbatical. And so that's what we've been doing during this sermon series. And like I did last week, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks or if you've missed a week, I would really like to encourage you that if you haven't been here, to go back sometime this week and listen to those first two sermons in this series uh, titled Renewed. Because everything that we talked about in that first week three weeks ago and everything that we talked about last week has been building up to what we're talking about today, this Sunday. We have been step by step by step going through this process of renewal. And as you know, if you've been here, that we're follow, we are following the pattern of this phrase that's on the screen, one that is as old as the Christian church, what's called the Paschal Mysteries, and it's this, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let's say that together this morning. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And I know that I, I've said this every single week, But it is so important for for me to stress here as, as we reach the end of this series together that the purpose of these sermons, the purpose of what we've been learning about, has been to remind us who we are as Christians is not solely defined in the fact that Christ did these three things for us. That's not where we find our sole purpose. But instead, We are defined by the fact that as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we participate in, that we participate with Christ in these three things. We participate in the death, in the resurrection, and in the future coming of Christ Jesus. And so the first two weeks, we participated in the first two phases of renewal, right? We talked about what it means to die with Christ. And we said that if if we are to participate in the crucifixion of Christ, then we we thought about what of ourselves is dead? What of ourselves is gone? Never coming back. What of us was crucified with Christ on the cross? And we stopped there, didn't we? At death. And we sat in an uncomfortableness. And then last week, we talked about the second phase of renewal, the second portion of that phrase there, Christ is risen. We talked about participating in the resurrection, and we celebrated last week that our death to sin and our death to ourselves means that we are now opened up to the fullness of Christ. We talked about that that participating in the resurrection is allowing the characteristics of God to be found in us. So we get rid of the old us through death and we become made new in Christ, getting rid of our selfishness in exchange for justice, love, mercy, and peace. And again, last week, we stopped. And we forced ourselves to take a week and look at the present transformation that God has for us without moving on to our future hope. But today, today we move into the future tense. Christ will come again. And it's all been been building up to this, right? Because today we are going to be looking at how we can participate in the coming kingdom of God. And when I say that, <laughs> I just feel like it's a breath of fresh air, don't you? That, you know, especially after looking at a few weeks back and looking at death, that, that now as we say of the, the future coming of Christ, that my anxiety and, and my worries and, 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 and all of my stress that I, I may have can, can melt away. Because today we're talking about the final victory, amen? The final victory of God. Now, we're going to continue in the book of Romans, but this week I want us to look at chapter 8 instead of chapter 6. And you can turn with me there right now if you have your Bibles. The passage that we've looked at the past two weeks of this sermon has been Romans 6, and it did an excellent job in explaining how we participate in the death and the resurrection of Christ. But here in in chapter 8, Paul, in this letter to the Romans, writes perfectly about the expectation of renewal. And I want you to write that word down. Expectation. Write it in your Bibles or in your your notes section of your phone or on on a notepad. Because he writes about the expectation of renewal that we should have for the future as Christians. And this is what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. Paul writes... would be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24. For we in hope were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Dear God, as we take in this scripture from Paul, two chapters after we've been looking at for the last couple weeks, God, we, we come this morning, as we've talked about, with an expectation. An expectation of hope, God, and this morning, as, as those last few verses just say, we come patiently waiting for the fulfillment of the promise that you have for us. God, we have experienced your renewal for ourselves. And this morning, we thank you so much that now we get to be a part of the renewal that you have for creation and for the world. We ask these things in your name. Amen now i had I had a friend who after the <laughs> the first week of this series uh she's a she's a pastor in Florida and she's been following along with us over the last few weeks. She texted me and she said Man, preaching from Romans is is tough sometimes. She said, way to go on on taking that challenge for three weeks. And I immediately, as fast as I could, I texted her back. I said, no, no, we're not going to be in Romans any longer. I can't can't take preaching on Paul in Romans for three straight weeks. This just isn't going to happen. We're going to go to the Gospels after this first week. But here we are in week three, and we've been looking at Romans for three weeks. So that's how my sermon planning has been going over the last month. But so we're looking at this, this text from Paul, and once again, that can sometimes be confusing, right? Sometimes we read the works of Paul and we really just, it's hard to comprehend. It's hard, hard to understand exactly what he's writing about. And even as I was studying this passage, I got to tell you that it, it hasn't become any easier to interpret Paul for, for myself over the last few weeks. And I was, I was actually struck by how differently a lot of researchers and a lot of theologians who are a lot smarter than I am, how differently they've interpreted this text. I mean, it depends. As many people that have looked and interpreted this text, that's how many opinions you're going to have on what it actually means. But for me, I really resonated with one of my favorite authors, um, the way that he explained this scripture. His name's N.T. Wright. And he he looked at this passage of scripture that Paul writes here in chapter 8 and he explained it he called it a, a great climax he said it was the pinnacle of of not only this letter here to the romans but a, a pinnacle of the theology of paul all of what paul is all of what he's teaching in in the letters that he writes to the romans to the church uh, to in galatians and then and then there in ephesians all of what paul writes about all of all of what he says in the new testament reaches a climax here in this Chapter 8 of Romans, if this was a movie, if we were watching Romans as, as a two-hour film, this passage would be acted out with loud, dramatic, moving music, right? And as you're watching it on, on the big screens, if you're in a movie theater with your big tub of popcorn with extra butter, and it better have extra butter, as you're watching that on, on the big screen, your, your hair would start, start to stand on end. You know, you'd start to get, get goosebumps. Uh the, the music would start invoking like an emotional response, and so a lump would start to form in your chest and in your throat, because this is it. This is all there is. This is the pinnacle of the gospel message. This is what it's all about. What Paul is writing about here is the summation, the total, the message of the gospel. It's what Christianity, what the church has been and, been and will continue to build up to until this time comes, a new creation. Here's our, our biggest takeaway from this, this passage, from what Paul writes here. The one thing that if you fall asleep after this, if, if, if there's nothing else that you take away from this message, from this passage of Scripture, here's what I want you to leave with. Our first point, all of creation awaits renewal. That's what Paul writes. This is made abundantly clear here in this passage what we can take away from from this point from this passage today as Christians as the church as the body of Christ is that this is our great hope and I've said it before during this series but as Christians our hope does not only lie in the fact that we go to heaven when we die that is not our only hope but instead Our greatest hope is that in the end, God is victorious. Amen? That is our greatest hope. That at the end of time, God is victorious. And what that victory means to me is is not that we leave this earth in a fiery pit, but instead, I imagine, and Paul writes about imagining here, a true victory. Where renewal takes place, everywhere we look. I want to read what Paul writes there in verses 19 through 21 again. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, to me, it's impossible to read that passage without seeing the beautiful hope that's present there. You see, Paul doesn't write here, that the world will be destroyed in some apocalyptic style image. But instead, he writes of an ending here that is beautiful. An ending that inspires hope. And when we have a view of the end that inspires hope, what happens then is is we begin to take a different perspective on the rest of the world, right? And instead of, of viewing the world in an us versus them mentality where the sinfulness of the world is is sending everyone else to hell, and it's us against them, instead of viewing, uh, viewing the world in that way, we instead begin to view the world in a different one. We begin to view the people and the creation around us. And get this. We view it in terms of what it could be. And we view it in the many different ways that we can partner with God to help get it there. Paul, in verse 20, recognizes the sinfulness of the world, right? It's there there on the screen. He says that the creation was subjected to futility. Your version, depending on what you're reading, may say frustration. And the frustration, the futility that that Paul is referring to is that creation is obviously, and, and we can attest to this, that creation is not fulfilling the role that it was created to be right now. But he goes on to say there that one day it will be set free from that bondage. That it will be renewed to become what it was originally created to be. Now, just a side note, since we're talking about creation. And I don't want him to get a big head. I don't really like saying good things about Hayden a lot because that head can just kind of go like this, you know. But he's been leading a Wednesday night message on the book of Genesis and been doing like a pretty good job, I would say. <laughs> no, he's been doing a really good job, and he, but he's been talking about creation. He's been going through the first three chapters, or he calls them pages, of the book of, of Genesis. And so as we're talking today about what God created the world, what God created creation to be, it may be valuable for us to look at what it was in the beginning, when he originally created it. So you can find those messages, the past three or four, on Facebook or YouTube, but there's going to be two more weeks in that series, and I'm excited to, to see what Hayden has in store for us as we look at that creation story, or have been looking at the creation story. But last Sunday, as, as we ended, you'll remember, as I have every week, <laughs> I gave us all a, a bit of homework together. And we were supposed to write down the the characteristics of God last week that were being resurrected in us, remember? But I also challenged you to write down the characteristics that our community might take on if it were to be resurrected, if it were to be renewed. And what we're talking about today, this is why I issued that challenge because I wanted us to start leading ourselves towards this perspective, this way of looking at the world. I wanted to change the way, or begin changing the way that we view the people and that we view the community around us, not as a world that's going to one day burn, but instead as a world that's a work in progress, a world that is being renewed. Because if we don't view the world as worthy of renewal. If we don't view it. In terms of how God sees it. Or how God wishes it to be. Then how could we ever play the part. That we as Christians. Are supposed to play. Paul writes. And it's still there on the screen. Specifically about the role. That the children of God. Or is that we as the church. Are to play. In there in verse 21. When he says. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And what that means for us this morning is that we are supposed to be a glimpse of that renewal. And i got to tell you, last week as I I was preaching, I I wanted to just grab the words that I said and just, you know, stuff them back in my mouth because I kind of let the cat out of the bag. I got a little ahead of myself as I was speaking. Um, I said that we were called to be a reflection of the image of Christ today, that we're supposed to be an image of that resurrection. That's what we were talking about. And I said that that's what Paul was calling Christians to in this passage, in in the passage that we looked at. But to me, and this is where I really felt like I let the cat out of the bag, what that means is that we as the body of Christ, as we have participated both in the death and resurrection of Christ, I said that we are proof to the world, to the rest of creation, that renewal is possible. And as soon as I said it, I was like, mm. I'm going to be saying that same thing next week. I hate, to, I hate to repeat myself over and over again, but let me tell you something. Sometimes we need to hear some stuff twice. Because we are proof to the world. We are proof to the rest of creation, aren't we? Aren't we supposed to be? That renewal is possible. We are called to, to live as the example. And here's why. Because if renewal is possible for us, if it's possible for you, if it's possible for me, then is it really that hard to imagine that it's possible for all of creation? The answer is no. Y'all were supposed to say No. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we are called to be that example of what is possible for all of creation. Paul, in this passage that we've been looking at, calls us the first fruits, if you see there in your scripture, which, me, which means that we are just the beginning, that we are just the first part of it. We are the first fruits, the beginning proof of what, this, of what is possible in this renewal. He's saying that there is a possible renewal for now we know that. But because we've been renewed and and we aren't perfect, or at least I'm not, because we aren't perfect yet, there's also a promise that there's more to come, right? We're the first fruits, not the last. And this is so we don't get a big head about it, right? Because we We know that we can't be, we aren't the full picture of what God has in store for the world. But instead, we are truly just a glimpse. We are a glimmer in the eye of God of what is to come. Because we have been resurrected with Christ, we are called to be a glimpse of justice, of love, of mercy, and peace. A glimpse of what will one day be present in all of creation. And doesn't that, at least for me, kind of makes me feel special? (laughs) Or not really special, but maybe it it underlines the importance for us to be set apart. To be a stark difference, right? To be a light in in the world that is searching. Or or to use the the language that Paul uses here, uh, to be a light in a world that is eagerly searching longing, that is eagerly waiting for the renewal that Christ is being. This shows us the importance of being a beacon of justice, love, mercy, and peace, because that's our role here in this third phase of renewal. This is the way that we participate in the future coming of Christ. We patiently wait. We take an active role by being an example of the renewal to everything that we come in contact with. That's how we participate in the coming of Christ. And we do that. We do that because all we have is hope. That's all we have. Paul says in verse 24, for in hope we were saved. For in hope we were saved. It's all we have. And that passage made me remember a story from a book that I read a a few years back called Preaching from Memory to Hope, and it's by Thomas Long. And at the very end of the book, Thomas Long recounted a story from, from Rabbi Hugo Grin. And I wanted to read it for us this morning because it's a very powerful passage. And the way that the book is written, this is the final paragraph. This is how the author ends the book with this story. I'm giving you the ending. And this is what he wrote. He said, I was fascinated and moved to read the obituary for Rabbi Hugo Grin, one of Great Britain's most respected rabbis. When he was a boy, he and his family were imprisoned at Auschwitz. They were orthodox, and even though it meant even greater danger to them, Hugo's father insisted that they observe the Sabbath and the festivals. Hugo remembered until the day he died, A time when, to observe the Sabbath, his father took a piece of string and put it in a bit of butter and lit it to make a Shabbat candle. Hugo was furious and he protested, Father, that's all the butter that we have. And his father said, Without food we can live for weeks, but we cannot live for a minute without hope. We cannot live for a minute without hope. For only in hope are we saved. Last week as as we ended together and as I prayed, I prayed that we would come here this Sunday with an expectation. An expectation for God to be here in this place, in this building, or wherever we may may be watching it online. And can I tell you that that word really hung with me um, for a long time this week. And it's not in the passage of Scripture that we read, but it was a word that just leapt into my mind as I was reading this passage from from Paul. Because as Christians, this victory, this, this renewal of all creation, this renewal of all things should be our expectation. I want you to write that word down if you didn't earlier. Expectation. All of who we are, is patiently waiting, hoping, expecting God to fully renew us and to fully renew all of creation around us. And that hope, that expectation, is all that we have. And that waiting, that expectation, is what I want us to focus on as we take communion together this morning. You should have a communion cup in your chair when you came in. And if there aren't enough on your row, row you can quickly look for one in the row uh, ahead or in front of you or behind you or side to side. I'm positive that we have enough. I think there's probably 30 right here in this section if you're, if you're missing one. But the bread is sealed on the bottom, you'll see, and then the, the juice is sealed at the top. And before we get into it, just to maybe ease some conscious consciences, um, Pastor Steve knows that we're doing this. Uh, We we talked about it before he left and we're doing this with his blessing and and his permission. He's been really looking forward to what we have in store for this this communion week. But every time that we've come to communion, and maybe some of us have taken it hundreds of times throughout our lives. I don't know. But when we come to communion, no matter how many times we've taken it, we come to it as this sacred moment. We come to it in reflection, in silence. It's one of the few direct commands that Jesus left his disciples and therefore the church to do, right? We see it there in Luke chapter 22. And he gave it to them, he gave them this command, as he knew that he was headed to the cross. It was his final thing, his final direction that he gave to the disciples. And so because of that, we're supposed to take it regularly. But I think that we can often enter enter into a time of communion, sometimes with a watered-down understanding of what it is. It is a time that we take to reflect and remember the great sacrifice that Christ made for us. But it's also much more than that. Jesus said in, in Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, and Paul repeats in 1 Corinthians, Do this in remembrance of me. But instead of a, a passive remembrance, as in, instead of a reflective, kind of thoughtful, just, just kind of thinking about it and then moving on with our day, what well, we understand that word remembrance as, and what Paul understood it as in 1 Corinthians, is an active thing. An active remembrance. To use the same language that we've been using throughout this series, we remember Christ by participating in what communion represents, right? In the manual of the Church of the Nazarene, our theology of communion uses three words, and I love it. It writes, it says, calls it a means of grace. Means of grace. And what that means is that in the church of the Nazarene, we believe that communion is a real way, a real way that God makes his grace available to us. So it's a thing that we come to with, with an expectation. That because Christ, because Jesus in in his last moments here on earth, directed us to do it, that God will make his presence clear to us in it. You see, it's more than just a reminder for us it's an act of worship, an act of worship that God glorifies. It's a way that we show that we do desire to, with the help of God, participate in the death, the resurrection, and the future coming of Christ. So this morning, I I believe that communion is a beautiful way that we can Man, I made it this far, y'all. I made it this far. It's a beautiful way that we can bring together these three phases of renewal that we've been talking about during the series. We can allow ourselves through communion to be reminded of the death, the resurrection, and the future coming of Christ. But we can also lay ourselves down on the altar and ask God to renew us so that we can be the example of hope that we have in the world. Now, each week leading up to this one, I've asked you to, throughout the week, reflect on things. The first week, we reflected on the death of Christ. And you should have written down, uh, or maybe you did, the characteristics of the old you that you hoped God would remove from you that would be crucified with Christ. And then last week, we talked about the resurrection. And we focused on those characteristics. We were to write down those characteristics that we hoped that God would fill us with to look more like Him. And this morning, I I hope that if you did that, and if you didn't, that's okay, but I hope that you brought it with you. Now, we're not going to do anything crazy like burn them at the altar or show them off to the people around us. But I do want us to take those things that we wrote down and I want us to spend some time together reflecting on the renewal that Christ has accomplished in us. But also, the renewal that God still has in store. What does it look like for us to be alive in Christ today? And what will it look like when we in our community are completely restored? I'm going to read what Paul wrote about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. And then we're going to spend some quiet time in prayer together. Paul says says this, 1 Corinthians 11, this is verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Let's take this opportunity in prayer to examine ourselves and allow the grace of God to fill, renew, and transform us. Let's just take a moment. come before the table of communion having gone through a transformation God but not only have we been transformed through your son through your spirit but God this morning as selfish as it sounds as unreasonable as it sounds God we're expecting more God we are expecting the renewal that you've just given us a taste of to be abundant in all the world around us God for sin to die out and for you to reign over all of creation This morning as we take communion together God I pray that you will make your grace your renewal available to us in the bread and in the juice. God, they're just simple elements. But your spirit can move so powerfully as we do this together. We come before it this morning with an expectation of hope. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Now, many times we can read the words of Paul there in 1 Corinthians when he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner. And and we can read read it as a meaning that if you haven't professed to be a Christian, then you shouldn't partake. But that isn't exactly what Paul says there. He says that we must discern first and, and do so carefully. And so this morning, I want to invite you. The communion, and and while we don't have a table, we can still say it figuratively, the communion table is open. And Christ is here in this place with us. And so I want to tell you that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, if you are seeking renewal through Jesus this morning, You can find that in this place today. If you are seeking to leave the old you behind and to allow God to live through you so that you can be an example of restoration to the world, then you are invited to take communion with us. Even if you're unsure really what that means, but you want to explore it for yourself, you are invited to take part in the grace of God today. But if not, or if that would make you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. Let's take the bread. And let's eat and drink of the body of Christ together so that we can become a part of the renewal that God has in store for all creation. I'm going to read this passage and we'll take the bread together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's say this together this morning. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's take the body of Christ. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Together, let's remove the top from the juice and drink of the new covenant of Christ's blood. And let's say once more, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Dear God, As we have taken of your body and your blood. God, I pray that what we have done together today will provide nourishment for us. God, that if we came in here this empty this morning, that your love your grace, your mercy will fill us up until we're overflowing. God, I pray that this morning I pray that you've done a work in each of our lives. God, because we know there's still work left to do. And God, our sole hope this morning is that you are doing a work To restore all of creation. That you are building something here. And God, all we want is to just be able to lay one brick of what you're building. God, to just be a small part, a small glimmer of what you have in store for the world. God, I pray that you follow us from this place. God, fill us up. God, when we start to falter, I pray that you catch us. God, help us be an example of your grace, of your renewal in everything that we do, to everything and everyone that we come in contact with. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Now I want to leave us with this benediction. As we depart this holy space, nourished and renewed, let us live into our renewal, so that it encompasses all of creation. Let us love one another and the earth, for God is made manifest among us through our love. Let us remember God's promise, live in hope, and go in peace. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.